Hey guys and gals, Cable here. This week's podcast brought to you once again by my friends over at iSocial Boost. You know, I uh, I already had my Lone Star Outdoors show page pretty squared away, but iSocial Boost guys came to me and said, hey, we've got this product that really can help out people looking to make a name for themselves or grow their brand in the outdoor industry. So I said, you know what, we'll start a new page. And before we promote it, I will determine if iSocial Boost really works. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> it passed with flying colors. My new page, A Hunter's Legacy, has over 10,200 followers. I, I literally post a couple times a week. Don't do re- really anything to manage it other than just put interesting content out there. And iSocial Boost does the rest. It, it targets people who have the same interest by using hashtags and other people that you want to follow. So like, it's Jim Shockey, or you use the hashtag deer hunting, or big game uh, hunting, all those things. So you find people who have these like interests, and iSocial Boost does the rest. Plus, you can use my promo code, and this is the most important thing, uh, Lone Star. Use that promo code. That's Lone Star at iSocialBoost.com, and you'll get 80% off your first week with no strings attached. So use it for a week. If you don't see the kind of growth that you want or expect, then cancel no strings attached. That is literally a $5 investment on yourself. Check it out, isocialboost.com. Do I say yes, ma'am? Yes, ma'am, I do. Open every door for a woman like you. A little old-fashioned, but what can I say? The good Lord made me that way. Baby, I'm a throwback. Like Longhorn horns on a Cadillac. Like a cigarette smoked by the man in black Me and my kind come from a simpler time Baby, I'm a throwback Gable Smith, welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show I'm a throwback Zane Williams, a good friend and hunting buddy Kicking things off for us with throwback there Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here As there is no place I'd rather be than talking hunting Fishing in the great outdoors with you fine folks. And yeah, whitetail season may be over. <laughs> I'm crying because duck season ended last weekend. But you know what? There are always hogs to hunt. The crappie spawn, sand bass run will be here before we know it. Those fat winter largemouths are gorging themselves on shad. If you want to catch a sherlunker, hey! <laughs> Now's the time to do that as well. So... Plenty to do in the great outdoors, not to mention spring turkey will be here in the blink of an eye. But with all that being said, man, oh man, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Some truly off the beaten path kind of stuff. So you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old thermos because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we'll be joined by Richard Reynolds, longtime outdoorsman and hunting dog enthusiast, you know. The Big Apple, New York City, is (laughs) the last place I would, maybe L.A. would be a little worse, but uh, one of the last places on earth where I would think hunting tradition and culture is alive and well. Let me tell you, friends, it is. And Richard Reynolds has been running hunting dogs in New York City for some time. The longtime ratter will join us in just a little bit to get into the Riders Alley, Trencherfied Society, and the amazing dogs that uh, really are the basis for this community and this way of life right there 
in the most urbanized places of all, New York City. So uh, Richard will be here momentarily. Then we'll spend a little time with Scott Ellis. He is the executive director of the GOABC. What is that? Well, that is the Guides Outfitters Association of British Columbia. It's no secret that they had their grizzly hunt taken away from them in 2017. We've covered it in great detail, but I ran into Scott. Uh, they had a booth and exhibit at the recent Dallas Safari Club convention. And here's the good news. If, uh, if there is any good news concerning this situation, it's that the GOABC has helped facilitate a class action lawsuit against the new government of British Columbia. That is the new Democratic Party, which ran on the platform of banning the grizzly hunt, which, um, as we've discussed previously makes no sense it flies in the face of sound scientific wildlife management which if you know anything about me in the show <laughs> if it doesn't make sense scientifically i am 100 percent opposed to it and so you get these greenies these uh left-wing nut jobs in a place of power and this is what happens and when this kind of situation occurs make no mistake not only do hunters and outdoor enthusiasts lose, but the wildlife population loses as well. They're not doing the grizzlies any favor. They are not saving grizzlies by saying that people can't hunt them. No, they're making a huge mess of it. And we'll discuss why that is and how the GOABC plans to help facilitate a correction, a, an alteration of this gross mismanagement of the resource. So Scott Ellis will be here coming up in a bit. And then at the end of the show, something that has been, well, it's been weighing heavy on my mind. Let's just put it that way. Uh, it's something that I think about all the time, guys, and it's, it's the direction of the hunting industry as there's a lot of leaders and, and people held in high regard within this community that I think are failing you and I. And while this is, and don't make any mistake about it, this is truly a dream job and a blessing to be here talking, hunting, and fishing with you. But <laughs> the situation has me perturbed and uh, and disenfranchised. And I'm going to give you my perspective on what is going on within this community it's, it's a phenomenon that I just can't wrap my mind around. Maybe you guys can offer some insight, and I'll ask for your opinion uh, and, your, and your response coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. couple other things. I've got a scent slammer. This is from a Hunting Made Easy, and this scent slammer actually is a boot dryer. So whether it's a hunting boot, a muck boot, um, you know, just your everyday tennis shoes, your basketball. If you go to the gym, play basketball, you're hooping, whatever. You put your shoes on there and, and it dries out. Um, this is something that I have at my dear lease. It's very valuable for those, especially warmer days when you're sweating a lot and you're walking around putting miles in those boots. Uh, it dries it out almost instantly, certainly for the next day's hunt. And uh, you can go ahead and win a pair of these. I'll give away two of them today. Why not? Uh, all you have to do is email the word scent slammer, that scent slammer, 
to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Also, don't forget that our February Photo of the Month contest is rocking and rolling. We're giving away an Acubo this month. That's right, an, a brand new Acubo with the app. All you have to do to enter to win is email your best hunting or fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered. And then our 12 monthly winners from 2019. We'll square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coombs Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great grand prize hunt package offered up by Coombs Canyon Ranch. And if you're looking for a trophy axis deer or black buck hunt, you know where to go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll be joined by lifelong, well, I don't want to say houndsman because the guy hunts more so with terriers, but lifelong hunter and hunting dog enthusiast Richard Reynolds of the Riders Alley Trenchified Society of New York City. He joins us next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Hey, hey, all you waterfowl junkies out there. Cable here for TX Duck Blinds. Highly durable and highly mobile customized duck blinds built by duck hunters for duck hunters. Each blind is built from solid steel by professional welders and field tested before shipment. A duck season will come and go, but guess what? Your TX Duck Blind is built to last. Customize yours today by calling 817-965-1306. You can also find them at texasduckblinds.com or check them out on Instagram and Facebook at TX Duck Blinds. She was sitting cross-legged smoking a bomb cigarette Black Chuck T's and checking her phone She might as well have had a t-shirt on It said beautiful and hard to get She took away your breath like smoke That's the latest from Sundance Head Leave her wild bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show An Interesting thing about Sundance Head Is actually the sun uh, the Lone Star Outdoor Show Zone and classic rock uh, slash, I guess, country legend Roy Head, uh, who Roy's been on the show before. But that's his boy, Sundance, and that is Lever Wild. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you for being here today, as we've certainly got an interesting discussion lined up for you here in just a second. And we'll head to the Big Apple, New York City, to do that, which, generally speaking, I never thought we would uh, hear of any hunting going on in New York City, but you learn something new every day. Um, so with that in mind, this segment is brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you've got kids or a significant other and you want to get them into hunting, introduce it to them in an environment that's comfortable, then check out the All Seasons Feeders Big Chingone. It's the blind that I had Aaron, the twins, and Henry in. Um, when we shot, well, I shot a doe with all of them in the blind, um, and we still had plenty of room. It's got cup holders, carpet, windows, shelves, you name it. 
It's like the freaking Taj Mahal of hunting blinds. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Okay, well, our first guest today hails from NYC, the Big Apple, New York City. He is a, I believe, a lifelong outdoorsman, which I'm sure we'll get into that more in just a minute. But more importantly, he's got some hunting dogs that we're going to talk about in a, a community of folks that I was shocked when I heard that people actually do this, but man, <laughs> shocked in a good way. Like, that is so awesome. Because no matter where folks end up living, you can't take that inherent desire. The thrill of the hunt uh, stays with us, even in the most urban of places, including Staten Island, New York City, which is where Richard Reynolds of the Riders Alley Trencherfed Society joins us from right now. Richard, thanks for being here. Thanks very much. I'm happy to be here. It is my pleasure. My pleasure. So how's the weather in the Big Apple? Well, as I sit here and look out the window, we've got a light snow falling, and it's cold enough so that uh, I certainly wanted to bring the brass monkey in last night. <laughs> awesome. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Because I, honestly, other than this uh, YouTube video I saw, you know, I saw this this guy uh, in a, and I don't I don't know what kind of hat that was, but. Uh, Certainly, it was a, a you know a trademark of yours, <laughs> and I think there's a little history behind that hat. Well, the the, the hat comes from uh, my days in in fox hunting, formal fox hunting, and uh, I was standing beside a an earth in England where uh, a fox had gone down, and along with the hunt terriers. Uh, the followers bring their own dogs and hope that they'll be called upon to uh, help do the job. And I couldn't tell who the professional was and who the amateur was. So I asked the master of the hunt and who the terrier man was. And he said, oh, he's always the guy with the flat cap. And <laughs> I've wanted to identify with that. So since then, I've worn a flat cap. And if you if you look for the fat guy with a flat cap on you you'll probably find me <laughs> yeah so we'll talk a little bit more about this video and it was someone um i think it was one of our instagram followers sent me a link to it and next thing i knew i was watching one of the most incredible uh hunting or ur- urban hunting excursions I-, I think i've ever seen but what is writer's alley trencherfied society uh, i guess rats is another word for it well An acronym it, for uh, it Riders Alley was a, a street in Colonial New York that still exists today, and it's only about a block and a half long. And when we started out, it was infested with rats, thousands of rats, hmm. and uh, we would go there to hunt in the early days uh, of when we were in Manhattan. The trencher-fed part refers to the fact that in England, when you didn't have a very fancy hunt, you didn't have a hunt kennels, all the hounds lived with the members. Hmm. And they came together on the hunt day, and it was called a, a trencher-fed pack because they ate from round trenchers at, at home rather than in a trough at the hunt kennels. Hmm. So that's trencher-fed. And society, well, we not exactly high society. In fact, we're no society, but... <laughs> We really wanted to parse the acronym RATS, and uh, that's the way it worked out. So you have the 
Writer's Alley Trencherfed Society, which is uh, basically a figment of our imagination, but it's mm. held in our imagination for more than 30 years, and we've got about, oh, 65 or 70 members, if if we had members at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're pretty active, considering everything, and we, we hunt in the city and we hunt in the country. Okay. And I was looking at this photo on your Facebook page. It's a lot older. It's you know, like a vintage photo, a lot older than 30 years. So I imagine folks have been, you know, hunting rats in New York City a lot longer than, you know, the 30 years that you guys have been in existence. Well, we don't know too much about rat hunting in New York City prior to our arrival, but we do know a lot about rat hunting in England. Mm. And many of the towns there had a... uh, a professional rat catcher, and his job was to obviously catch rats. Uh, we do know that in New York, uh, in the, oh, around 1873, uh, the pastime uh, instead of uh, baseball was a rat pit that was operated coincidentally right near Ryder's Alley, hmm. and. Uh, You'd get about 500 rats put into this pit, and a terrier would be put in. And the trick was to see how many rats the terrier could kill in a limited period of time. <laughs> and a little money changed hands, I'm you know. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it was a good time had by all, except the, the city fathers weren't all that impressed. And uh, they did everything they could to shut it down, but... Boys will be boys, and and the the rat pit existed for a number of years. Mm. And the rat catchers had to work very hard to fill that up because the average amount that rats they go through in a night was about 500. So uh, it was a a booming business, and uh, we don't know exactly who did it, but... uh, since we came along, and we're we're more or less the the, the rat catchers of of the city. Yeah, yeah. So, do people actually call you and say, "Hey, we've got an infestation"? I mean, I mean, obviously, rats are a huge problem in the five boroughs across the board, but there's certain areas that are worse than others. Um, do, do they pick up the phone and give you guys a call? Well, we uh, we get email contacts constantly, and we're kind of a public service organization. Uh, well, actually, we're a self-service organization, but we pretend to be public. <laughs> and we, we go out on the streets and, and catch rats there. But we get any number of calls from people who have a rat problem in their dwelling uh, and have a problem. And if we can, we go out and try to help them out. But if you have a rat that's concealed in a structure and living in a structure... Uh, short of disassembling the wall, there's not much we can do to get it. Oh, yeah. No. Um, we had a gentleman a while back who lived in a very tony penthouse uh, in New York City, and he had a rat, and the rat was uh, terrorizing his wife, children, and nanny, and they moved out of the apartment until they could find the rat and dispatch it. <laughs> so we decided this was a challenge that we might be up for. But we eventually found his rat and uh, dispatched it for him, and uh, we do that kind of public service when we can. Fascinating. So, you know, it, it's kind of like um, 
our feral hogs. You know, we love to hunt them in Texas. We're overrun with them. You're never going to get rid of them, but it sure is a blast chasing them. And you even mentioned to me off the air that you have plans to come down here and and participate in some uh, some hog dog bays. Well, our our efforts are we are, are directed to the benefit of the dogs, and it's it's a deep dark secret. Uh, our international publicity comes from the fact that we hunt rats and that we dispose of rats and that we participate in real scientific projects concerning the control of rats. But our main purpose is all about the dogs. We hunt terriers, and uh, our aim is to prove the confirmation of these dogs and uh, to preserve the the breeding of of some of the breeds. Uh, but basically, we're we're about the dogs, and where that takes us can be uh, almost anywhere in the world. Uh, and we're headed to Texas to. Uh, Try our dogs on uh, some of your your feral hogs down there. Nice. And so, what kind of terriers do you primarily use? And and it might be a rat terrier. I don't know, but <laughs> figured I'd ask. <laughs> well, surprisingly, we don't have any rat terriers. Well, yes, we do. We have one now, I uh-huh. guess, but I haven't really watched him work that much. But we have border terriers, Cairn terriers, Patterdale terriers, Bedlington terriers, Yacht terriers. Uh, just about every terrier breed you can think of at one time or another uh, has passed through. Uh, some get signed up for the team, and others we forget to tell them when the next hunt is. <laughs> yacht, so yacht terrier, is that J-A-G-T? Is that how that's spelled? Yes, sir. Okay, and so I went on a hunt. Uh, we were actually hunting Gemsbuck, and, and this was in the Texas Hill Country, a big ranch. And the guy had a yacht terrier as like a, a blood tracking dog. And it was right in the back of the truck. And this thing is not a big dog. Next thing you know, we run across some, some feral hogs. And that damn dog has jumped out of the bed of the truck. And he, he's, you know, the size of like, you know, maybe a, a football. And he's chasing these feral hogs and has no fear whatsoever. <laughs> it was like, and he bade one of them up. When I, we actually ended up killing the hog just kind of by chance. But, yeah, I mean, that thing was a... The feisty son of a gun. Well, I'm new to the Yacht Terrier, and I I got this dog, uh, coincidentally enough, from a, a fellow in Texas. Hmm. And uh, there's a project to kind of bring them back down to size. They're they're very good for blood trailing, as you know already, but they're also very good for earthwork, which is underground uh, pursuit of quarry. And they're fearless, they're hardy, they're uh, relatively uncomplicated. And if you can manage to live with one, which ain't all that easy, <laughs> uh, they're a fine breed to have, but not, not for your first dog. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm I'm still learning uh, all about it, and uh, I have two of them now. And I've got one of them down hunting rats in Washington, D.C., and the other one here with me, and we've broken him we've entered him to fox uh recently and he's done very very well with that huh. and while he's courageous he's got enough sense so that he doesn't get hurt himself yeah i think this dog might have been lacking on the scent side because uh he just saw pigs and was like boom i'm out of here and could have easily gotten you know killed but uh 
the heart of a lion, that's for sure. And I think a lot that's I think that goes with a lot of these terrier breeds that they have no idea how small they are. You know, don't tell them they can't do something. It's a real pleasure. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, working with I find pleasure in working with my lab. Obviously, um, you take immense pleasure in working with these terrier breeds. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Come back and get into what makes a good ratter. I'm sure that there are things you guys do to train these dogs up. I'd love to hear about it. Are you cool to stick around? Absolutely. Excellent. This is fascinating stuff. I look forward to continuing the conversation. That segment of the show brought to you by John X Safaris. June 7th through the 15th is the date. Still two spots left. We've got, I guess, five hunters have uh, paid deposits. We can take up to eight. I'm one of them. So that leaves seven spots. That leaves two left. If you want to be a part of our trip to South Africa with John X Safaris this summer, this June, uh, just shoot me an email, Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Little bird told me I think we're going to dart a rhino. So uh, exciting stuff is going to happen on that trip, no doubt about it. Love for you to be a part of it. Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We'll be right back with more from Richard Reynolds of the Riders Alley, Trenchified Society, Rats, and the Dogs that Hunt them. You're listening. To the Lone Star I felt the lights on the big, big stages A fire burning in my soul I had those nights where my guitar was raging It's not something you control, little darling It's not something you control In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800 9 Go hunt or visit our website at www.biggame.org. This is Henry Guy. You're listening to my dad. She's smiling back across the floor. Hey, bartender, pour one more. If I had to guess, that's one, two in her eyes. She's playing with her hair, inviting me to take the dare. And I'm thinking maybe I just might. Alright, Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That's the latest from Jason Allen, Smooth Talking Lady. Uh, by the way, if you like the music you hear on the show, uh, all of the playlists are posted both on my website. But even better than that, if you're on Spotify, they are available for your listening pleasure right there on Spotify. Just add me. Cable Smith, and you can check them out at your convenience. Um, we are about to continue 
Our discussion with Richard Reynolds of the Writer's Alley Trencher Fed Society, uh, a.k.a. That's a fancy acronym for a ratter, uh, a person who enjoys hunting rats with dogs. (laughs) One of the most fascinating uh, discussions that we've had in a long time, no doubt about that. Uh, But first, this segment is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. They've been helping their borrowers finance their own slice of paradise for over 100 years. Land's the one thing that they're not making any more of, but we all want it. So if you're ready to take that plunge, ready to make that dream a reality, give Lone Star Ag Credit a call, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Okay. Uh, Well, Richard, we're ready to jump back into it here. Thanks for sticking around through the break, man. Absolutely. Now, what is what goes into training these dogs for the pursuit of rats? I have a lab, you know. I know what goes into training her well, for fetching ducks. And uh, there's a regimen, and I, I like to think that it's a, a formula comprised of thirds, and it's one third instinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, French bulldogs don't really do all that well. Right. <laughs> uh, they, they do much better sitting around couches and. Uh, private homes and bordellos and whatever. Uh, the terrier breeds have the instinct, and it, it turns on at a various at various points in time. We use uh, earth dog tests and den trials to wake up the instinct, and those trials uh, test the, put the dog onto caged rats that aren't aren't harmed at all, and. Uh, Teach them to work the rats by barking, chewing, whatever. And, uh, it's kind of a fun game at the start, and you never know when it's going to wake up. Some breeds wake up the instinct early, some come late. I've had some dachshunds that didn't come along for four years, but then were absolutely super at it. Uh, the other thing we do is lure coursing uh, with a, an artificial lure, which sounds very sophisticated, but Basically, it's a plastic bag on a pulley, hmm. and that kind of teaches them the sight hunting part of rat hunting. So once we get the, the instinct up, we get them chasing the, the plastic bag, we get them working the rat, then we take them out and let them observe and work their way into actual live rat hunting, and then they usually catch on pretty fast. Once you've accomplished that, there's about a oh a one year learning curve till they learn how to do it right and fast and become a professional ratter. Mm-hmm. And almost any dog will kill a rat, but our good dogs can kill four at once. Oh wow. So it's on the job training, a little bit of formal training and the basic instinct. Right. Okay. Okay, and these dogs, obviously, they kill the rats. Uh, I imagine they get bit from time to time. Well, it depends on how skilled they are. They all get bit from time to time. And there's a learning curve, as I as I just mentioned. Uh, you don't grab a rat by the back end. If you do, you're going to get bit. <laughs> and I imagine you've gotten uh, bit plenty of times then. We want them to grab it midsection. We want them to shake it once and throw it. Uh-huh. Uh, there's no blood, it's quick, it's instant, and they're on to the next one. So it crushes their internal organs? No, they're, they're, they're snapping the spine. Okay, okay. They're snapping. Uh, it's very quick, uh-huh. 
we've gotten lots of uh, permissions to hunt places you wouldn't uh, expect to find us uh, based on the proficiency of these dogs. And, and man has invented all kinds of subhuman ways of killing rats, from poison where they bleed to death to sticky traps to any imaginable thing you can think of to do it. And, and comparatively, being dispatched by a dog is, is certainly not pleasant, but it's not the worst thing that can happen to them. <laughs> right. So I imagine you've gotten bit as well? I'm sorry? You, I'm sure you've gotten bit plenty of times. Yes. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. You, uh, I've been bitten by rats. And I used to breed rats, as a matter of fact, so... Yeah. Uh, you 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 are used to that, and sooner or later you're going to get inadvertently bitten by the dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, a dog that's involved in pursuit of quarry isn't particularly thinking about your thumb that's injected into the equation. Right, right. So you get pretty used to being chewed. Yeah. So I guess that that leads me to my next question as far as disease is, you know, rats people have a conception whether it's justified or not, that they're just filthy animals. They probably have, carry parasites, disease. Um, would it, is there any risk associated for you or the dogs? In a, in a word, it, it's managed risk. You know, you can't eliminate all risk in, in any hunting pursuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always there. And our, our main uh, bugaboo is in New York City is leptospirosis. And lepto is an ever-present disease. Uh, there's a vaccine out that covers only four types of lepto, and more than 200 are known. So you have a risk of exposure, but what happens is the dogs develop a natural immunity very, very quickly, and that's within a matter of weeks after they begin hunting. Hmm. Uh, depending on where we're hunting, they're challenged by some of the cerevars of lepto, and uh, if you do blood tests, you'll eventually see uh, the the titer come up, and there'll be a natural immunity for lepto. Hmm. Uh, it's a deep, dark secret that New York City rats are uh, basically pretty healthy. Don't tell anybody. We we thrive <laughs> on the uh, we thrive on the reputation of evil, diseased rats, but actually they're 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 pretty healthy. We thrive on the reputation. I love that. I love that. Uh, probably results in a lot more phone calls for you or emails than, hey, come help me with these nasty buggers. But um, one interesting thing I saw on this YouTube video was that you guys actually weigh the big ones. You know, it's just like anything else. Uh, humans like the biggest of whatever species it is that they're chasing. And well, there's no no bone and crockett standard for rats. We're trying to get them to put one up, but... Uh, we participate with Fordham University in uh, a DNA study uh, of rat propagation and migration through the city, and we collect DNA samples for them. Hmm. Uh, If they follow their scientific protocol, they get maybe four DNA samples a night. We give them 100. So uh, we're friends, and a number of the scientists have gone out, gotten dogs, and hunt right alongside us at this point. <laughs> but the weighing started from that, and when we take a sample, DNA sample, you you weigh the rat, and uh, 
Oh, we discovered that our, our biggest one so far is about 800 grams. And, oh, last week we got one at 650 grams, which uh, isn't, of course, the biggest one, but it, it's sizable. So how many pounds is that? 1.43 on the 650. Okay. I'm not sure. 800 is coming up toward two pounds. Yeah. That's a big old rat. <laughs> So do you mount that sucker, you know, take him to the taxidermist, put him on the wall? Well, I've never done that. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've thought about it. And uh, actually, the other day I saw a nice fox mount of a, a fox with a rat in its jaws. And I thought, gee, I wouldn't mind doing that. But uh, we don't take trophies, just yeah. pictures. Sure, sure. So as far as the actual hunting, are you guys, like, targeting, like, dumpsters? Do you, do you beat beat the area with a stick like how do you help the dogs out it it takes us a while to learn how to hunt any given area and unlike our, our brethren in the uk they hunt rubbish tips and they just kind of kick the dogs loose in the rubbish tip and so forth and we don't have that luxury we hunt on the streets we hunt through garbage bags. And in New York, we have piles and piles of green garbage bags uh, that are out on the street on Friday night waiting pickup. And, of course, the rats know they're there, and uh, that's it's dinner night for the, the rodent society in Manhattan. And uh, we hunt these bags. We hunt dumpsters in the housing projects. But we know to experience where the rats are and more importantly we know from experience where they're going to run and like a fox a, a rat will run the exact same path night after night after night uh, if they know they can beat you one day they will run exactly the same way the next time and there are oh highways uh engraved into some of the lawns and, and gardens that we, we frequent. And it doesn't take any great amount of brains to put a catch dog in the middle of the escape route and then put a push dog into the garbage to drive the rat out. And that's <laughs> basically the way we work. Yeah, that's awesome. We have, uh, for our, our hog dogging, you know, we have uh, bay dogs and catch dogs as well. The bay dog's usually a hound or a cur and then, the catch dog's a pit bull or a bulldog of some kind, and it's kind of like the same deal there. Well, we've got the same thing, and yeah. we have short-legged breeds like Norfolk Terriers and uh, dogs like that, that uh, they're the push dogs, and we have catch dogs that are the Patterdales, the Bedlingtons, and, oh, we've got one really great mountain feist that uh, is a catch dog superb. And, of course, the catch dogs get all the glory, uh, and their owners all have swelled heads <laughs> about how many rats their dogs can catch. But it's those of us with the push dogs that go in and uh, get smelly in the garbage that actually do the heavy lifting. So mm -hmm. we allow them to take the credit, but uh, we try to horn in and get all we can for the little guys. <laughs> Well, so as we kind of wrap things up here, um, if you want, do you guys have a website or just the Facebook page? No, we just have a Facebook page. It, it, we're just a band of brothers and, and sisters. Uh -huh. uh, we don't have a, a, an organization. We don't have a club. 
we collect a capping fee of $5 from everybody that hunts each time they hunt, and we do good things with our treasury. Mm-hmm. But uh, we have no structure, and uh, that's one of the attractions of it. No bylaws, no no dues, no anything else, and uh, that's why we've been around so long. Now here's the here's what I think is the coolest thing is so Friday night's trash pickup night, and that's like um, the night where you guys all meet up and go hunt in this in the most urban of urban areas in the entire country, New York City. Uh, you guys have found a way to enjoy hunting dogs and just being outdoors, even in the concrete jungle. And I think that that is, uh, watching the video, I was like, holy moly, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a long time. So uh, I was fascinated by it. Well, I wrote an article several years ago called Sport is Where You Find It. Hmm. And uh, we're we're stuck here living in this uh, big apple of a, a city. And we found a way to satisfy our hunting instinct, satisfy the dog's hunting instinct, and do a bit of good for our neighbors at the same time. So yeah, uh, that's where it all started. Well, it's, it certainly is awesome. I, I appreciate your time today. Uh, not something that I thought we would ever discuss on the show, but I certainly am glad that we did. And it was a real treat visiting with you, Richard. Look forward to hearing your piece when it comes out, and thanks so much for calling us. All right. You take care. Okay. Thank you. All right. Richard Reynolds of Riders Alley Trencher Fed Society Rats. <laughs> that is awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, like Richard said, sport is where you find it, and they are continuing the hunting tradition even up in the NYC, New York City. Uh, and I've been to New York. Aaron lived there for, gosh, two and a half years while we were dating. So I spent a little time up there. There are so many rats. I'm not kidding. Uh, you're getting on the subway, boom, there's a rat running across the uh, the tracks. Walking down the street, boom, rat. So uh, certainly a target-rich environment. And uh, not that I would ever want to live there, but hey, Seems like Richard and his crew have got a good thing going there. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Elite Archery. If you haven't seen the new Ritual 35, just came out at ATA 2019 at the uh, Archery Trade Association show. Check it out. It's the Ritual 35, and it is the latest and greatest bow from Elite Archery. Uh, we will be right back with Scott Ellis of the Guides Outfitters Association of British Columbia. There's an update on the Grizzly Bear Ban. Uh, they filed a class action lawsuit against the government, and we'll get into that next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Just an old mutt Riding shotgun Getting my seats all muddy Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years' experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. You just had to paint the front porch ceiling turquoise. 
said that's the way we do it in the south You claimed it keeps out all the evil spirits Sometimes I can't believe the words are coming out Nunya is the name of that one, as in Nunya Business. <laughs> and that's the latest from Hayes Carl, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoors show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for being a part of the presentation. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well. Uh, we've got an interesting topic to get into, one that we've covered in quite a bit of detail here in recent memory, but uh, there's a new development going on up in British Columbia concerning their grizzly bears. And uh, just the the politics involved in this whole situation are, are very interesting. I find it uh, fascinating how a culture, a society, can be duped um, into thinking that anything other than sound scientific wildlife management is plausible. And, uh, you know, you've got a party up there that ran on this platform of, hey, we're going to ban grizzly hunting. They, they won, and then they did exactly what they said they were going to do. Um, so there is a new development in that situation. We'll get into it momentarily. But first, this segment proudly brought to you by First Light. You know, their tag soup sale is going on right now. It's a one-week-only sale, and you can get 20 to 30% off store-wide at firstlight.com. That's uh, everything from the Catalyst suit, which I lived in this fall, to hats, gloves, socks. Uh, you want the, the Sanctuary bib set? Yep, that too. All of it, 20 to 30% off at firstlight.com. Firstlight, go further, stay longer. Um, okay, well, let's go ahead and welcome our next guest here. He, uh, he actually hails from British Columbia, but I ran into Scott Ellis at the Dallas Safari Club convention a couple weeks ago, and we sat down for a visit. He is the uh, executive director of the GOABC, or uh, Guides Outfitters of British Columbia. So let's go ahead, take a listen. Uh, thanks. Uh, glad to be on cable. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, so we're out here at DSC 2019. I've, I see you've got a ribbon on that says 15-year exhibitor. Uh, so Guide Outfitters Association of British Columbia has been here for a long time. Yeah, we uh, like coming to Dallas. They uh, take really good care of us here. Um, we've been here uh, like almost 15 years, and um, it's always a great, great event. We're glad that you're here. And so I was actually talking to my friend Jack Hooper over at uh, Babine Guides Outfitters, and uh, we did the, the trap line adventure with Jack and Lloyd last year. And that was about the time that the grizzly bear ban came to fruition. It, was a little, it actually had just happened. Because I went in, uh, I think, in January, late January, early February. Right. You fly into Smithers, British Columbia, and there's this massive grizzly right there in the airport. Yep. So it's something that, that, that your culture is very proud of, that you have this very rich resource of uh, you know, a healthy population of grizzly bears. I mean, the size of a Volkswagen vehicle, bad attitude, <laughs> uh, was uh, preying on cattle. Uh, that area of Smithers, it was uh, ranch land. It was uh, actually uh, killed by government. It wasn't a oh, hunted wow. bear. It was a problem bear. It had been known, and you just keep getting bigger and badder and bigger and badder. <laughs> so uh, they're not all as big as him. Uh, I think, uh, not sure how many pounds he was, but uh, yeah. 
he would uh, he would definitely hide a Volkswagen Bug. That's for yeah, sure. <laughs> there's no doubt. So I don't know the exact number. How many Grizzlies? I'm sure you have a good estimate on it, but how many Grizzlies currently live in British Columbia? Uh, the experts say that there's 15,000 grizzly bears, and a lot. Yeah, a lot. I know there's lots. It, yeah, you know that the uh, the harvest has been very controlled since 1976. Uh, hunters take about 300, 350 bears a year. A mm-hmm. uh, third of that by uh, outfitters, and two thirds of that by resident hunters that uh, have to win a draw, uh, like a lottery. Um, I'm sure you have similar type of draws in the U.S. Um, Not for grizzlies. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were set. Yourself. We were all set to have one. Actually, this year we were supposed to have our our first one since the '70s in yeah. Wyoming, and a, a federal circuit court judge who has his head so far up his ass he doesn't even know what he's talking about and has <laughs> no idea, with you know what he's doing with regards to wildlife management. But he kibashed the whole thing and said, "Nope, we're not doing it." Yeah. Uh, so that uh, was very unfortunate. Well, it really shows how small the world is mm-hmm. because the uh, same groups that are uh, targeting what's going on in British Columbia were all over that um, greater Yellowstone grizzly bear hunt. And, and uh, when they won that, so to speak, uh, they were claiming that and the closure of the British Columbia grizzly bear hunt are the two biggest feats that they'd accomplished. And, you know, that was what they were using to raise future funds for. So it really shows, you might think that, well, you know, I'm from the great state of Texas and I only hunt whitetails. Um, I have news for you. Uh, they're not stopping at grizzly bears and they're not stopping at Canada. So um, yeah. we have the same enemy and I think we need to work good, you know, much better than we have been. And, um, you know, uh, whether we like it or not, there's a lot of politics involved in, in the management of wildlife today. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. And I totally agree with you as far as that complacency. Uh, and, we, and we talk about it regularly. Texans, is, we're very proud, you know, of our, of our hunting heritage. We kill more white-tailed deer than generally the rest of the country combined. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but we kill the most. We're proud of that. But when you see what's happening across the rest of the and not just North America, but you see the same stuff in Africa. Um, it is a global community, and we're all in it together. And that, uh, you know, that is of the utmost importance to realize that. You guys, a little different. You had a political party that actually ran on a platform and saying, hey, elect us, and we will make sure that we close grizzly hunting. Yeah. Pretty sad. Um, a lot of similarities to the... Um Black Bear Hunt in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not an expert on that governor and how he did that, um, but from what I understand, a lot of commonalities. Um, so we had uh, an NDP, so it's a new Democratic Party, uh, that put it in their platform. They were campa- campaigning that this is what they were going to do if they got elected. Uh, their uh, key writings that they were targeting were urban. Uh, they won most of those. They had a very good strategy, uh, and they were successful. Uh, they didn't. It's really a little bit complex, but you know they needed 45 seats to have a majority, and they only got 41. And they partnered with a third group, the Green Party, to give them 45 seats, gave them control of the government. Um, so it is a, a, a coalition. It is kind of a neck and neck 
um, race and debate in the House makes it kind of interesting. Everyone has to be in the room, so they vote to get things passed. But so far, that coalition is, has remained. And one of the things that they wanted to do, both the Greens and the NDP, was uh, close the grizzly bear hunt and so on. December uh, 19, 2017, they did that. Just because it made them feel good. Oh, the minister in charge, he got up and spoke, and he said, you know, it's not about the science. We've got some of the best uh, science uh, in the world. Um, we just don't think people should be killing bears. <laughs> so they acknowledge. Oh, yeah. It, no, they, it, Most of them clear. don't ever acknowledge it. They just well, they dismiss it, and then they don't ever talk about it. And if you, if you try to have a conversation with someone and say, here's the science, they say, no, 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 we don't care about that. We're not even going <laughs> to believe that that exists. So it's... It's eye-opening to hear them come out and say, hey, we know the science says we should be killing some yeah. grizzlies, but we don't give a crap. We're, we're going to not, you know, we're going to say you can't hunt them anyway. Yeah. And then, and then they come out and say, we're going to manage based on science, except for grizzly bears. <laughs> and, you know, and how would you feel if you were a caribou or a moose or an elk? I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, very, oh, yeah, very <laughs> hypocritical, right? And so... Um, you know, grizzly bears are meat eaters. Um, they need to be managed. We have a lot of them. 15,000. Yeah, yeah, and a population is still growing. We're, so the, the facts are the grizzly bear range is, is expanding. We're seeing them in places closer to greater Vancouver. We're seeing them on Vancouver Island, places that never had grizzly bears before. We're seeing them in greater densities. So... You know, it, 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 there's, there's nothing about the science. The science is good. The grizzly bears are healthy, and we got too many of them. Yeah, well, I mean, once you reach carrying capacity, uh, then you've got to remove excess animals. And I was talking to Jack Cooper on that trapline trip up there in BC, and, you know, I think he had two grizzly tags for his unit uh, or his guide area. That was his quota. And he could sell those for, I don't know what the dollar amount was, but, you know, let's say $20,000 a piece. And he was like, Okay, well, I have two kids, and it's like somebody came in and stole their college tuition, you know, under the cover of darkness. So, you know, the, it, it's critically important um, uh, that we have a hunt. You know, the economic impact is one piece. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, 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 is, it is so... Uh, it's so disconnected, right, that we have urban centers mm -hmm. telling, you know, rural British Columbia, someone who, like the Hoopers that live in Smithers, who deal with grizzly bears on a on regular basis. They'll go through a wall of their cabin and just destroy it. Um, they'll total a vehicle just because they want to. They decide that something might smell good and they go in through a window and out the other side, and the time they get them out the other side, the, the, the truck's worth zero. They also are pretty good at killing moose uh, calves. Right, and so... Which also affects their bottom line. Absolutely. So there's all these kind of wildlife management impacts. Um, fantastic study, if you haven't seen it, out of the state of Alaska. They put GoPros on grizzly bears to see how many um, moose calves they eat. They eat one calf a day. Mm for the calving season, which is whatever that is, six-ish weeks. And it was just amazing. So, you know, there's all these impacts. There's impacts to the, the prey species. Um, there's, there's uh, uh, you know, there's more and more people on this planet 
we got more and more grizzly bears, there's going to be more and more uh, wildlife conflicts. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we had um, two fatalities in the Yukon. They have a hunt in the Yukon, but very, very restrictive, very, very small. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, we're going to see more and more, um, uh, you know, grizzly bear human interaction where there's, we're going to lose. We're, we don't come out well in those, uh, those battles. No. Um, so, and, and the, the early reports are the conservation officer service are that the, uh, the complaints, they have to go out, put the bear down, is way up. So we're, we're not surprised were by that. Helping take care of that previously. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. it's just it's management based on emotion. It's because of politics, and it's really bad management. So I mean, I'm not a mathematician. I actually hated math in high school and college. <laughs> but if you're killing 350 out of 15,000, what percentage is that? Like four, yeah, five percent? No, no, less than that. Closer to two. Two percent. Yeah. I told you I suck at math. <laughs> uh, Two percent of the population is. I mean, you're still going to see on that curve that the population is growing. Yes. If you're only taking two percent. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really a, a non-issue on. No. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, going back to the science of it, but just to put that into perspective, I think I think it's an important perspective. People, you know, uh, some people that don't understand, you know, we we take outfitters are really concerned about the grizzly bear population. We want a good, healthy population. Um, there is a surplus. We believe in sustainable use. Um, there's economic opportunity. There's good wildlife management. There's a lot of benefits that stem from uh, a good, uh, consistent uh, hunting uh, regime with good regulations. And then we get good information, right? We know the age of the bear, the health of the bear. We got genetic diversity, so we know, you know, how far they travel, how how, how healthy they are. So mm-hmm. very good science. You know, if that matters. Sorry if I'm on, not allowed to say that, but, I, I can you know, it's really out. disappointing. <laughs> you know, like, they don't care. Yeah, yeah. And uh, terrible. Just yeah. uh, terrible. You well, need to, you can't throw politics and, and good science out, out the window. We, we expect more from our governments than that. And we deserve more. And the wildlife deserves more. Uh, so let me ask you this, because why I wanted to visit with you today, that, that's obviously the background Recently, it came out that uh, Guide Outfitters Association of British Columbia um, has filed a lawsuit against, I, guess, I believe it's against the government, uh, but I, I'm not really sure about all the minutiae there, so uh, we visit, visited with Corey Mason, uh, our DSC executive director, a couple weeks ago. He gave us as much info as he knew, but you're right here, front and center, at the epicenter of what's going on. So. Tell us exactly where that stands. Yeah, you bet. So, I mean, we're disappointed that, you know, that we have to get to this place when an outfitter has to start legal action. But, I mean, the aunties used it in uh, a greater Yellowstone issue there. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I guess um, Canada is headed more that way. Uh, specifically, uh, Ron Fleming, so it's not GABC-led. We're the association that represents uh, most of the outfitters in the province. Uh, Ron Fleming is a longtime outfitter, past president at GABC. Uh, he's the one uh, that's the lead plaintiff in this class action. There's 118 outfitters that had grizzly bear quota that uh, I'm going to suggest that most of them will be in, and I mean significantly most of them, 90-ish percent probably. 
Um, and you know, it's it's we have to we have to sue for damages. I think it's the same in the U.S. when you when you go to court for this type of uh, this type of action. Um, it's, it's it's not what we want to sue for. It's we'd much rather be hunting bears, uh, mm-hmm. but we definitely think uh, we need to stand and fight, and uh, this is the best way to do it. Absolutely, and with the class action, the interested parties like uh, Bad Bean Guides Outfitters, my my buddies Jack and Lloyd Hooper, um, they've invested in the uh, in the court cost in the lawsuit. I think all of the guides who have something, you know, some skin in the game, are doing the same to the tune of you know some are in for twenty five hundred, others a lot more. It just depends on um, what the situation is and you know, where they're from and, and their quota. But we'll certainly be pulling for you guys, as I know y'all will be pulling for us with our Yellowstone, our greater Yellowstone area hunt that uh, was canceled. Um, We're all in it together, like we alluded to earlier. Because while these single issues are regional, the attack on our lifestyle is certainly a global epidemic. And uh, it's important to remember that we're all on the same team. If folks want more information, they can go to goabc.org. That's goabc.org. And you can donate there. Um, I'm not asking you to, but if you feel inclined to help back the cause, you know, every little bit counts. And I know a lot of folks just in passing by here at the DSC convention have made uh, $10, 15 $20 donations. Uh, also, you guys have a Facebook page. Unfortunately, we're out of time, Scott. But I certainly appreciate the time, my friend, and I look forward to our next visit, which hopefully will be on a more positive note. Absolutely. Thanks, Cable. All right. Scott Ellis, Executive Director of the GOABC, Guides Outfitters of British Columbia, as we will continue to closely monitor the situation going on with the GOABC and the NDP, the New Democratic Party, the party responsible for banning the uh, grizzly hunt. And not just... The hunt, the recreational hunt, trophy hunt, but also the sustenance hunt. Those who actually hunted grizzlies for food, uh, yeah, they, they did away with that as well. It's uh, absolutely mind-boggling. And it's a wrong that, that ultimately must be righted. That segment of the show brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. 35,000-plus of you fine folks came out to the convention. We certainly appreciate it as DSC set records for Funds raised for both uh, wildlife grants and conservation initiatives uh, to the tune of, uh, I think, total over $5 million. So absolutely amazing stuff there. Coming up next, uh, we're going to go in a completely different direction. And uh, is this a dream job? Absolutely. There's nothing that I'd rather be doing. But there are some factors that are very stressful. And man, lately they've been beating me down. And I will shed a little light on that after the break. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Almost atoms and broken bones. The dream of a bubble I'll never put on. I'm jaded. Oh, I hate it. But somehow the highs outweigh the lows. And I do it all again. Even though we both know I'd still have to let you go. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution, the System Hog Trap. 
comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The system is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Three Curl Outfitters is now offering guided North Texas quail hunts. Just 30 minutes south of DFW, if you're looking for a quality quail hunt close to home, planning a company outing, or just looking for a place to tune up your dogs, you need to give them a call. Hunts are $250 a hunter for a half-day hunt. That includes 15 birds, and you can add extra birds for $8 a piece if you want to give your bird dog just a little more run. You're welcome to bring your own dogs. Otherwise, the guide and dog fee is $150 a day for your entire group. That's not per person. Go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 to book your hunt today. Gonna stand my ground won't be turned around and i'll keep this world from dragging me down gonna stand my ground <laughs> the man and in black's take on the classic tom petty down. tune i won't back down johnny cash bringing us back on the lone star outdoors show powered by dallas safari club cable smith riding shotgun with you today thanks for being here it is a treat a pleasure an honor to be talking outdoors with you today and uh man this segment a little different i've got something that's been weighing heavy on my mind and uh it's not just in recent times it's it's pretty much always in this business but specifically in the climate that we are in and i want to share it with you and would love to get your feedback for those of you who routinely send emails uh, i always appreciate them and i respond to every one of them uh, on this topic specifically, I'd love to hear your thoughts. And we'll get into this uh, here in just a second. First, though, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. Check out the new Pulsar Thermion. It was just released last week at SHOT Show. And it looks more like your traditional rifle scope that you would put on a bolt-action rifle. So, if you're one of those older guys out there, or maybe you're more of a classic rifle guy who just... You know, bucks at the thought of shooting an AR. This is the scope for you. Hey, if it's every 30 millimeter scope mounts, I mean, it is it is the classic scope, but it's a thermal. And you can find it at PulsarNV.com. Check it out. Okay, well, here's the deal. I have found in almost a decade of uh, being a part of the hunting and fishing industry that it is, uh, it is a dream job, no doubt about that. There's nothing I would rather do in this world. I went to school and got a degree in radio thinking I was going to do sports talk, and I fell into uh, hosting a, a once-a-week outdoor talk show in East Texas. And then uh, Obama got elected, and I got laid off because the economy went in the tank. Draw whatever connection you want to there. I'm not saying it's his fault or it isn't, but I got laid off. We moved back to Dallas. Hey, what am I going to do? I don't know. What you know, I've got a wife and luckily she has a job and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I really liked that outdoors show um that I hosted back in East Texas. So here we are 10 years later. Thank God for Aaron who was uh, so supportive when we started the show that first year. I don't think we made money. Might have lost money. And this will never be a, a get rich quick scheme and and that's okay with me. I don't care. 
Uh, I get to call hunting and fishing and, and visiting with you guys and gals a job. But I am getting frustrated, and it's it's weighing heavy on me because I feel other people are not doing their part. And and I'm talking about, and this has nothing to do with y'all. You, you guys and gals are great. Uh, but it has to do with other folks within the hunting community, folks who are held in high regard, who are very, very well respected. And they won't talk about the Second Amendment, and they won't talk about politics. They will not. They'll talk about policy. Yeah, uh-huh. We all talk about policy, but they won't talk about politics, the politicians, who they're voting for and why. And many of them won't touch the Second Amendment, which I find absolutely astonishing. Here we are, a community of gun owners, and there are plenty of hunters out there who think we don't need ARs and that you know one bolt-action rifle is probably fine for, for a hunting lifestyle. Well, I don't even understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, and these people who, like I said, are held in high regard, they owe it to their followers, to their audience to be more upfront. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're smarter than me, uh, because they've never lost a sponsor over something they've said. Well, I know I damn sure have, and it's stressful. It's stressful to have to think about, uh, Hey, if I say this, or if I post this, how is X company going to react? Because at the end of the day, X company supports the show. They help pay my bills. And uh, how do you walk that line? And I generally haven't walked the line. So maybe maybe those, those other guys have it all figured out. And I'm just, uh, you know, on a soapbox for no reason, preaching about a lost cause. I don't know. Uh, but I personally feel like... Um, there's an opportunity being missed by people who could make a bigger difference and they're choosing to stay mum on these topics because they don't want to affect sponsorship dollars maybe or they don't want to lose their following. I don't know. I go back to someone who I respect greatly, Tim Wells. You know, Matthews told him to quit spearing animals on his show. And Tim was like, well, why should I do that? I'm not doing anything unethical. I'm killing these animals cleanly. And uh, I guess Matthews just didn't have the stomach for such a primal way to hunt. And Tim told him, hey, look, I'm not changing. So that was the end of a 20-year relationship, which certainly hurt him financially, but made me respect him a hell of a lot more. Ted Nugent, the same way, love him or hate him, uh, you know what you're going to get with Ted. And I don't know. I don't understand why when these big PR nightmares happen with huge stores like Cabela's or Dick's, like why is no one talking about those things? So, genuinely, I want to know what, what your thoughts are. And, and keep in mind, I'm a drop in the bucket. I'm a microcosm of the, of the whole situation. But is there an opportunity that's being lost here? Or am I making something about nothing? I don't know. It seems like, it seems like <laughs> there is almost like a left-wing mindset that has infiltrated the hunting community. I mean, a prime example, the grip and grin photo, our trophy shot that we take with the, an animal that we worked our tail off to harvest all season long. You finally get your big buck, and you're holding his rack, and you're sitting behind him, and you're smiling ear to ear, as you should be. And you can't post that on social media? Did I miss something? And let me tell you, that's why I love Dallas Safari Club so much. Because DSC, I never have to worry about being myself with DSC. <laughs> they are as real as it gets, as unapologetic and provocative as it gets in the hunting uh, community. And so to have DSC as a longtime title sponsor is, is something that I'm eternally 
grateful for that opportunity. And I'm blessed to have all the sponsors that I do. Uh, but I, I'd be lying if I said sometimes I wasn't worried about something I said or something I posted and what their reaction might be. So anyway, I'm going to go ahead and, and step off the soapbox. I've, I've said my piece. I've mentioned what's been bothering me. If you've noticed this or if you haven't, I'd love to hear from you. I sincerely would invite any email. Uh, if you want to Facebook message me, direct message me on Instagram. I'd love to get your feedback on this topic. Is there more that we could be doing as uh, people of influence in the outdoor community? Let me know. And I promise you I will reply to anyone who reaches out. Uh, the email address, Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, by the way. And uh, you know how to find me on social media. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> well, not unfortunately, I'm tired of talking about it. Like I said, it's uh, something, it's like a weight just was lifted off my shoulder. But I don't want to talk about it anymore today. Instead, I want to go hunting. <laughs> so I'm going to check out, got to head to the lease. There's some hogs that need dealing with. Uh, I do appreciate each and every one of you guys and gals for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show today. I truly do. Thanks to both of our guests. Scott Ellison of Guides Outfitters of British Columbia, as well as rat hunting enthusiast and lifelong sportsman Richard Reynolds of the Rider Alley Trencher Society. Uh, interesting stuff with Richard today. We will do it again same time, same place next week. Of course, I also need to thank all of the fine sponsors who put up with me and support the show. Even if some of the things that I say might cause them to grimace from time to time, um, I certainly do appreciate each and every one of them, like I do you guys and gals. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Mama, I'm searching every night and day. I'm looking for the means to pay for all the wrong.